Hello and welcome to Fundamental Value, a journey to quantify crypto. I'm your host, Joshua Frank, co-founder and CEO of The Tie. On Fundamental Value, we speak with leading hedge funds, analysts, trading venues, and digital asset market participants. Our goal is simple, to understand how the leading minds in the cryptocurrency space are researching, analyzing, and quantifying the value of digital assets. Quick disclaimer, this podcast was recorded and is being made available solely for informational purposes. The information, statements, comments, views, opinions provided in this podcast should not be considered as a provision of investment advice or as an offer to buy or sell any securities or tokens or to make or consider any investment or course of action. You can view our show notes for complete disclosures. In this week's episode, I'm joined by Samantha Bobot, Platform Manager at Digital Currency Group. Samantha, it's great to have you on. Thanks for having me, Josh. So can you give us a little bit of a background on yourself and what your life was like pre-crypto? Yeah, so I'm going to start with the personal. Um, I'm from New York City, which is probably why if you hear something really loud in the background, that's someone with an old car running out of gas. Uh, So from here, I'm back here. I went to university in Washington, D.C., and then I moved to London for my master's and lived there for seven years before moving back last year and joining DCG. So originally, my master's was in development economics. A lot of people wonder what that means. Um, it's it's essentially how do developing economies grow faster. So after that, I started my career in traditional finance. I worked at a large global asset manager called Orbis. I started off working on the fund, the firm's emerging market equity fund. So I was a product specialist. The company is a like a value investment shop. Um, if that means anything to people, it's a bottom-up investor, meaning that the folks on the investment team just look at companies. So they scrutinize them on their individual merits, but they're not making bets on trends. Um, So what that can mean is you can have exposures that result in the fund that you didn't intend or that you're not managing. So my job was was doing quantitative analysis on the fund, looking at kind of those, those exposures that might slip through the cracks like exposure to macro risk, positioning, um, and then ultimately it was also acting as like a connective tissue between investors and the investment team, all focused on emerging market companies. Um, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, I'm excited to get no, I'm excited to get your perspective on what value investing looks like in crypto a little <laughs> bit a little bit later. But so so you know. Definitely. Had in, well, I mean, I mean, finish up. I, I don't think you were done with the full story. So um, I'll, I'll rapid fire the rest of the story. And my second year there, they started a retail investment business. So where people could from one pound, it was in the UK, so it's in pounds from one pound, you could invest in these funds that were traditionally only available at, at a premium to big institutions. So I got on that and started doing a lot of marketing business development. Around that time, I was starting to have a major itch. You know, I kind of joke that at the end of the day, you can find a lot of different roles, but if it's the the fact of just working in a large 400 or 500 person plus company that's getting to you, it's not you're not going to shake it. Um, so I started consulting companies. First and foremost, I was looking for companies that were expanding into emerging markets where that expertise might be valuable. But for anyone who does consulting, you know, you don't really at the start at least, you don't really get to pick what you eat kind of thing. So I also was working with just general startups operating in Europe, helping them with business development, marketing, really, you have it. So at that point, I was, you know, I, I started to clarify that that question that now I meet a lot of candidates who are asking, which is, I do this thing in finance, what else can I do in other contexts? I have no idea. Um, <laughs> I had agonized with that question for a long time. And ultimately, I, I wanted to do partnerships and business development. So I joined a company called Elder. It's a, a health tech company. It's akin to honor care here. Um, and it's essentially you can go on and in the same day, get a carer, an elderly carer to someone's home. And I launched and led their partnerships team. So it, is that how you first discovered discovered Bitcoin working with the elderly and helping to you know get, get some care for them? Exactly. So we launched a token um, and that was a way to fund the care. A utility token. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> a utility exactly. token for, for the elderly. Um, every every time one of the elders passed away, the supply was uh, decreased. So it was a deflationary uh, utility token. Exactly. <laughs> I won't, I will, I could go really dark on a joke about how it's performed in COVID. Go for it. Go I'll, for it. Go for it. <laughs> I'll just leave it there. <laughs> it's outperformed all other asset classes. Let's just say it's, that. Yeah, it's, it's great. It's great. You guys should you guys should yield farm it. So 
So what was your uh, what was your first experience with crypto, and when did you decide to you know go fully down the rabbit hole and you know join DCG? So I feel like I love hearing everyone's quirky story here, and usually it involves a major pain point and digging and tech and and you know I have to be honest, for me, um, it was it was opportunistic at the start, um, kind of happenstance. So I, w- I wanted to work with startups. I wanted to be in a position where the emphasis was on helping founders and early stage companies scale faster. And I was looking at roles within VC to do that. So where I would touch a lot of companies, you know, familiarize with different issues, roll up my sleeves to help them. Through that search, I met DCG. And that kind of got me got me crawling, I guess, not fully down the rabbit hole, but crawling towards it and starting to meet people in the space. And I feel like there were two things that stood out. So one was I had a call pretty early on with a friend of a friend who works in the industry, works at Binance. And we had like blocked on the calendar, you know, you know, when you're reaching out to people for help to get you information, you're like, I won't take more than 10 minutes of your time or 20 minutes. Of course. Um, I'll be, I'll be out. And you in a take hurry. three hours and 75 WhatsApp messages. Exactly. I took like three hours of his time. We were like, I couldn't believe everything he was saying. Like it partly sounded like it was out of a Marvel comic to, to mine, you know, crypto virgin ears at that time when he was like Ethereum and this, and I was like, Whoa, and taking notes. Um, and yeah, it, I just got really excited about it. And, and, I and actually, now, and, and this was what, a, a year and a half ago, and now you're full degen buying shit coins and putting them in your MetaMask wallet. Exactly. If I had <laughs> known then what I knew now, <laughs> but with horrible timing, I should add. He, should have, he didn't warn me about that. Um, yeah, so I started reading, I started getting into it, I started talking to more people. Um, and one thing that stuck early on, so clearly, at, based on the elderly care experience, you know, I can get into a lot of things, but one one aspect of crypto that immediately stood out was how how much it actually fit in with the things I had studied previously and was interested in. Um, from you know, a like development one of the perspective, most, or yeah. So from a development perspective, I mean, one of the most compelling, I'd say, and, and enduring crypto use cases is around remittances. And like, you know, my master's, my investment work was a lot around looking at economies that rely so heavily on remittances, but that the industry has been just so slow to modernize. It's super regressive. You know, it's essentially a tax on developing economies that that the system is not modernized. Um, so I guess just hearing about that element of crypto, having something that I could latch onto right away, where it's like, I've seen this problem. This is so exciting. It's palpable to me, the impact it's making. Just, just kind of was like the slippery slide or I don't know, the lubricant on the rabbit hole slide. <laughs> so I, I didn't I actually didn't write this down before, but my question for you is, I mean, you mentioned, you know, it sounded like a Marvel comic the first time you were, you know, talking to somebody. I mean, what is like the most ridiculous thing you think you heard in your first few months where you're like this like 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 NFTs and like people paying, you know, money for virtual nothing? Like like was there like something that you're like, I don't get this. This makes no sense when you first came into the industry, like uh, I guess a year and a half ago or so now. You know, I'm going to be, I think, I think buying virtual land, I, you know, I, my dad worked in real estate. Um, I like, I think in a very literal way, naturally, (laughs) um, I'm not super, uh, yeah, I guess I don't float to the esoteric and I'm a little more of a, like, so what type of instinct. And, you know, that one, I think, it can take time to get your head around, especially if you're someone who's not kind of living, breathing the virtual world. You know, you're more like head in books or with friends and not not thinking a lot about your online existence and others. That took me a while. And as you said, particularly when you come from a kind of value investing background. I, I still haven't wrapped my head around uh, Decentraland. I know what you're referring to. I, I haven't wrapped my head around it still. The, you uh, know, the value I think prop. It's, it's a, I think there is a real value prop there now that I've gotten to know kind of the user community better, but it's exactly that. It's that you have to step outside of, if you're someone who is living like me, aka trying to avoid phone and online and almost willfully being a Luddite, I... You know, I guess it was the, hard. the seniors wore off on you a little bit. Yeah, I was like, you know, I'd heard about these things like Fortnite and this and that, but I was kind of like, I don't, you know, I don't, who who is so enmeshed willfully in their online existence. So obviously I've learned a lot about that and had a lot of my misconceptions corrected. 
And so your job at DCG is is platform manager. So what what does that mean, and what are your day to day responsibilities? So at the, so the platform is a role that that exists at a lot of venture funds. Um, what's unique about DCGs is that we invest in companies in one space, right? So we're totally focused on crypto, and all our companies therefore have a lot to gain from us building scalable solutions that they can all take advantage of. So I feel like the the platform role kind of breaks down into two parts. One is building kind of that that engine that companies can dip in and dip out of. So I know it sounds pretty esoteric, um, (laughs) uh, high level. To give a few examples, one um, is just providing a forum for founders in a community to tackle shared challenges. So an example of that is we'll often, you know, recently... Uh, someone surfaced like I'm just struggling with the the operational struggle of of gas fees, right? How do I manage a business with this overhead? We will gather a bunch of executives to tackle that issue. Likewise, we have a lot of discrete sectors in the portfolio, so we'll have a meetup of exchanges to talk about, you know, every day there's new security risks. We'll gather them to tackle that. So that's one thing is is recognizing that when you're operating in a nascent space, it's really helpful to lean on each other. The next thing is, you know, because we are uh, invested in these companies, we're part of this industry. We're we're also running businesses. DCG is unique in that we have five wholly owned subsidiaries. You know, we're very at the ready to advocate on the industry's behalf with external stakeholders. So that can be the regulator. We're really active in the blockchain association um, with coin center with big tech. Um, So what does that mean? Like a lot of our companies will come to us and say, I have money now, now I need to deploy it and I can't get an ad approved on Twitter. Right. Or I can't get my ads up on LinkedIn because there's total blocks. So that's the kind of example where where our platform engine at DCG will step in and think about how do we broker inroads for the industry at large and for our network. But then, yeah, and then beyond that, I'd say there's just a lot in the operational bucket. If you can build resources that you know people are going to need at some point in their journey of running a company across kind of every operational division, so product, marketing, legal, you can build something that that these executives we hope really count on, um, and that you know continually adds value over time as they see the need to dip in. So that's the first thing, and then the second part of platform is is just the one to one kind of direct hands on support that you provide to your investments. Um, and as an example of that, you know we'll often help strategize on the product front. We will help with marketing endeavors. Um, on our company's behalf, we'll consult them on kind of like key strategy stuff. And also we'll just, we'll just, you know, from being frank, some of it is just being a sounding board and being like a friend in the space that is rooting for them. And it's there for founders, which as you know, Josh can be a pretty lonely gig. Yeah, no, totally. And, and, and I, we didn't, I don't know why I didn't ask this. I think everybody knows, or most people know who DCG, you know, is, but can you just give us, you know, the DCG basically, it has its uh, its foot in every single door in crypto, but can you kind of give us, you know, the 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 twenty second pitch on on who DCG is, what they do, um, you know, what what some of the you know highlights are in terms of you know you know wholly owned subsidiaries are as well. Yeah, so so DCG is a holding company. Um, it's not a venture fund. Uh, it's not a GPLP structure that you might hear about in Silicon Valley. It's a holding company. And what that means is we, there are five subsidiary businesses that are wholly owned by DCG, but that operate independently. They have fully developed teams um, and they're operating in key areas of the space. So one is Grayscale, which is the largest crypto asset manager. Uh, there's Genesis, which is a lending and trading OTC desk. And then Coindesk. Hopefully, I don't have to dig into that one too much. It's the largest media and news site in the space. Um, Foundry, which is a mining and staking business. And lastly, Luno, which is a recent acquisition. And it's a leading global di- wallet and digital exchange. So why don't we just oh. actually go off that and, in, in, you know, that, that Luno acquisition. So what was the main reason for that, that acquisition? And, and how does it fit in with the rest of that portfolio that you kind of just went over? Yeah, so you know when we orig- when Barry originally started DCG, 
he was, you know, building something that would allow mass adoption in the space and that would really build a system that could last for years and, and change finance as we knew it. To that extent, you know, our mission is to build a new financial system and we mean it. The way we did it originally was through building the infrastructure that the space would need um, to grow to the extent we expect. So we did that first with the institutional space, you know, Genesis and Grayscale, first and foremost, are building out um, the crypto investment market. I think now at this point, we feel that the infrastructure is in place and that crypto is ready for prime time, right? That it can take mass adoption and that really now the challenge is about getting the word out there and, and really reaching the masses. And also, I guess, bringing back to our mission statement, we've we've no, felt increasingly over the last year or so that to truly democratize access to financial services, to really live out that mission statement and really build something that will change dynamics for underrepresented populations, that we need to take ownership of the processes that onboard folks in the millions, hundreds of millions onto this system. And so that means, you know, being that first face, that first, yeah, I don't know, face or touch point that they reach in the industry. And that's really what Luno has built. You know, I said it's a leading global wallet provider and digital asset exchange. It's done tremendously hard work to set up itself across emerging markets. It's the most prominent name in those markets. And it has more than 6 million customers. I think, you know, you asked sort of where does it fit into DCG? I feel like what what's most distinctive about Luno is is kind of the the holistic approach it's taken to growing. The team has always put such an emphasis on education. They've led campaigns that even don't really showcase their brand, but just try to get people understanding crypto, seeing where it could fit into their values. And that's something that really resonated with us. You know, so as we want to get into the exchange space, as we want to be that face to the masses and to to bring people into ultimately something that we think will be liberating and empowering, Luno felt like the right partner to do it with. And I think going off of the the the, the back of that question, you know, you spoke a lot how, you know, I guess initially with Barry and with DCG, the the thought was the opportunity was was, you know, the first thing that needed to get built at least was the institutional side of things, right? To attract you know, to attract that capital. But it seems like now there's, there's, you know, some growing interest in the DCG side on, on, you know, also, you know, onboarding retail and bringing the mass into crypto. But where do you personally see the most opportunity within crypto? You know, what, what, you know, either, you know, types of customers do you see or sectors, products and solutions that, that kind of interest you the most in the space? Yeah. So the first one I mentioned, um, I mentioned before remittances, I think, you know, often when I talk to friends, I'm sure you've had this, Josh, they'll be like, but 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 where is it impacting right now? You know, and I'm putting on a voice of like really obstinate, confrontational. Um, and what and they're kind of floored when I tell them about companies like Bitso. So Bitso is one of our portfolio companies. It's the largest exchange in Mexico. It now accounts for 10% of remittance flows between US and Mexico, which is the most traffic. Really? Wow. Yeah, which is major. And and for for context, like that's the most trafficked remittance corridor in the globe. Right. And then they'll say, like, well, well, why is that just good market? What's the deal? And, you know, this is probably what's pretty shocking to a lot of people outside the space is they're doing that on their merits. Right. They charge for some customers a fifth of what Western Union does. So that's real value. And, and not only value add, it's value to people's lives. Right. That's impactful in every direction. Yeah, I mean, I think the last time I looked at it, the World Bank said the average cost of a foreign remittance, if you go through like a post office or a bank, globally is still like 11%, 11%. You know, and, and even with these mobile apps and, you know, kind of neo banks that are enabling remittances, the average cost is still 3.5% to send money back home. And if you're a, you know, a foreign worker who's, who's earning minimal wages, I mean, you know this, that 3.5% makes a massive difference. Yeah, it's a it's a huge difference, and I think that's also why people are so energized about the growth in stablecoin uh, adoption development, um, and what that means. You know, yeah, three percent essentially tax on what your hard on your hard earned um, savings is is tremendous. I mean, the only worst thing is then having that in a currency or your relatives having that in a currency that might deplete instantly overnight, right? Because of 
global headwinds out of your control. Enter stable coins. And this is the other thing we're seeing. I mean, Ripio is one of our portfolio companies. They're one of the largest exchanges in Latin America. They're heavily active in Argentina. They're saying they feel that that what's what's happening is it's getting to the point where the average worker in Argentina feels that they have to put a certain amount away in stable coins. And they're talking about it. They're buzzing. And these are USD denominated stable coins? Exactly. So, you know, this is just because there's such fear, trepidation around um, volatility in the government and, and the fear of capital controls that could come about. I mean, um, and the funny, the funny thing to me is just, you know, we talk about inflation in the U.S. and printing, but I mean, you look at other countries like Pakistan, the, you know, the inflation rate is 30% a year. Um, yeah. Just, and know, in, I mean, Nigeria is, is one of increasingly the, one of the largest crypto markets in the world. And I think in the last year, inflation was around 30%, right? I mean, if you're, um, it's just, you can't build on that. Um, so I think, you know, that's another driver. And it's also, it's also interesting because it, it actually helps you to see that developing countries in their way, when you live in a terrain like that, in a way you're more financially advanced than your counterparts in the West. You know, when we explain stable coins to people here, I think who are, who are outside the industry, it's natural that they haven't reckoned in their lifetime. Maybe they've heard stories of the seventies, but they haven't, they haven't reckoned with the fear of inflation or certainly anything resembling capital controls. But, you know, for the average person on the ground in Nigeria or Mexico, there's a real financial acumen that comes with navigating that terrain. I mean, and you see that as well with companies like M-Pesa, which has been in business for like, you know, 15 years already, right? I mean, people in Africa have been transacting, you know, in, in Tanzania and other developing countries have been transacting with their mobile phones for over a decade already. It's it's become second nature. Well, exactly, and that's that's the other um, like the other reason that the growth potential in developing markets is so exciting is that ultimately what we're building here is a digitally native monetary system. Um, the first piece of that is being digitally native, right? And if you're a 17 year old in Senegal, like you might not have a computer, but you're online on your phone all day, um, you know, and that's it's just so second nature for you to then handle your finances there. And so what does what does that mean for crypto, right? What does the rise of stable coins and stable coins being used as remittances mean for the rest of the industry? I you know, I think one of we highlighted this in our report, which I, I think we'll talk about that just came out, but um, you know, even for those executives that aren't directly benefiting, so that aren't exchanges in developing markets that have seen the surging trading volume or that aren't companies like Circle that are behind USDC, I think it's just, it, it's a positive PR statement, right? Like I love talking to people about it outside the space because it's it's a way to show real value. And I think, you know, good PR for the industry at wide, first of all, is something we all welcome. Um, with regulators, if we can point to our innovation is having tangible, beneficial outcomes for underserved populations. But also, I, I think for a lot of people, it fixes the issue of how do you onboard new new people, right? Like, you know, decentralized currencies. I don't know if you've ever tried telling your grandparents or at least your parents wh what what you work in. It's really hard to describe and I've tried like simplifying it and playing with it. It's hard to con to tell people de what decentralized currencies are, I'm right? So I'm so tired networks. of I'm so tired of going to like, you know, dinners with family friends and then, you know, somebody who I haven't talked to in a few years is there and they start asking me about how what is blockchain, what is crypto, what is bitcoin, what is Yeah, this, it's that? brutal. And, it's and like, ultimately, it's a lot easier to tell them it's digital money. Um, right. you know, it's a shortcut a lot of us don't want to take because it feels intellectually Cheating. Dishonest um, and cheap, yeah. But the flip is, it's also a lot easier for them to get on board. And, you know, people always give this example of, like, you know, how people describe the early internet. And if you read it now, it would have nothing to do with your experience, right? Like, you know, recently I looked at a New York Times article um, from 2007 that was talking about Netflix launching a streaming service. And it described that I would download a software that would take three milliseconds. And that, you know, it was so granular when in reality today, I still just... remember the day that happened. I think that was 2010 or 2011 when they cut out 
their their uh, mail and video service and and Netflix stock oh, crashed by like that. twenty or thirty percent. Yeah, yeah, and I mean the descriptions is is I would never get behind it, right? Because it sounds so convoluted. It's like this nano thing is on my computer. It's downloading instantly, and I'm going to access um, this infrastructure. It's all these big words that really comes down to today. We just say I'm going to watch a movie, right? I'm pulling right. out my TV. I'm, I'm or, sorry, my my non-TV. I'm pulling out my laptop. I'm watching a movie. I don't talk about what's happening. Right. Um, and I think we're seeing that that's ultimately the shift that that, that has to happen for mass adoption and, or is happening right now in crypto, which is people can just internalize the benefit they're getting, what they're doing, but we don't need to dig into the behind. And, and I guess that's the way that people I, I'm feel. I'm 100% agree with you. Bringing it to stable coins that like, actually, yeah, we joke that we think it's intellectually cheating when we want our family members to just understand everything about what's so brilliant about a decentralized network. But if they start to even get that first muscle exercise in, right, of digital money, they're that much closer. Well, and I think one good example of that too is, you know, like people invest in the S&P 500. Do you know what every company in the S&P 500 does? No. Right. Like when you invest in something, people that are investing in Palantir's IPO, do they know what Palantir's exact business model are and what people are serving to governments? No, you don't have no, to. And right? even, even more cynically, I would say they don't even really know in many times how value accrues to a, a stock. Right. They oh, don't know 100%. about the, the complexity of preferential shares. Um, <laughs> that, we can get super cynical here. We can go down a whole rabbit hole. Stomach turnover, right? But if someone right. asked me, like, what does it mean when I invest in um, Ford stock? And I said, Oh, well, you know, well, let me put it like this. If debt holders are going to get this, for, they get in, they're in this rung of the tier. And then there's preferential holders. Right. Oh, and then there's the foreign listing. They would run right. out the door. Right. Whereas if right. I just say you own a share of Ford, if, if it does better and performs well, it'll be enriching for you. That's a whole lot easier. Um, right. Let me show you all the depository receipts that exist. <laughs> exactly. No, I think you're. I think you're. You're totally right, I, and I think it's. It's all about you know simplifying and, and making it easy because like, you know, people just whenever you explain Bitcoin, people want to understand with a blockchain. But I think just just simplifying it down to, do you see this shit show that is the United States of America right now? Do you trust this government with your money, or you know, do you trust this you know this new and emerging you know asset class that has a tremendous amount of opportunity? that's been around for 10 plus years that now PayPal is throwing, you know, their, their resources behind and, you know, considering an, an acquisition of, of BitGo and, you know, and, and, you know, we see, and I know you want to hit on this later, the Franklin Templeton curve, you know, thing and state street is considering, you know, as, as run a, a demo with Gemini. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, I think, I think kind of, you know, alluding to that as opposed to the actual technology is certainly interesting, but you, you, you brought up earlier the the research that you released. So, DCG just released a state of crypto research report. Uh, and so what were some of those key takeaways? You know, I th the, the headline, the main overall was um, that our companies have performed really strongly amid, again, as you referred to before, as the shit show of 2020. I think, you know, a lot of that, as I said, is that this is a digitally native space. Companies that have done the best are those that benefit from people spending more time online um, and that and also embracing crypto. So companies like exchanges, wallet providers um, that have some portion of their fees tied to trading volumes have done terrifically. Gaming companies, you know, one of our companies, Jackpocket, is lottery at your phone. They've seen explosive growth through COVID. You mentioned NFTs earlier. I think both you and I that are naturally skeptical to like investing on our online presence can actually understand that in COVID, we're especially young people are alienated, like they're not out and about showing off their new kicks, that they are thinking that they're going to buy baseball cards or go play NBA Top Shop. Which is so baseball cards has gotten so, so insane. You can't even go like, so, so I don't, I don't know if you know this about me, but, but really quickly, my grandparents used to sell, my grandpa and uncle used to sell baseball cards back in the 70s and 80s as a side project. My grandpa was an accountant and it wasn't his actual thing, but I've like, you know, collected baseball cards for the last 20 plus years, but kind of stopped. My brother still does. And you literally can't buy anything anymore. Since COVID hit, the demand for baseball cards is like through the roof. I mean, things have gone up like 5x. It's 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 astronomical. Yeah, it's and yeah, and then add to that ones that can be easy on your computer, don't have to deal with the shipping constraints right now. And and like, you really get it, you see what's what's surging. Um, 
so that's that was one highlight. Um, I think the other is, you know, are a lot of people foresee, I'll just run through. So people anticipate industry consolidation ahead. We pulled out, you know, kind of the trends behind that. So a bunch of our executives were, were pointing primarily to that a lot of companies that raised um, large amounts of capital in 2017 that have struggled to find product market fit might be eyeing exits. So they could be good aqua hire or just acquisition candidates. Um, you mentioned before Franklin Templeton uh, backing curve. You mentioned like those other high profile big tech entrants to the space. I think a lot of people are keeping their eyes open and thinking that we're going to see some of those large companies swoop in to buy kind of these upstarts with great tech. And then I guess, you know, lastly, it just felt bullish. And, and you know, to be totally clear, we don't put together this report to just cheer for the industry. We put it together to share what we're seeing. Um, and if the mood was bearish, we would share that too. But it felt that, you know, people are looking at these macro developments, they're looking at this, these adoption trends that we're seeing, and they think it bodes well. You know, probably one thing that surprised or might have surprised us in the past was nearly 100% of our respondents across our 150 portfolio companies feel that a, a major crypto IPO would be a really good thing. You know, if you think about why that might have been surprising three years ago is people might have said, oh, well, well, that puts us in the spotlight. That puts us right in the target zone of the regulator. It feels that the sentiment was sort of the company has arrived, sorry, the industry has arrived in a way that we've, you know, kind of made progress that can't be taken back. Um, yeah. Did you read the report, Josh? I, of course I read the report. <laughs> I have some questions prepared. I know I don't have all of your yeah, time, but I do have a couple of questions. Some parts of it. So, yeah, I mean, one of the things that I was most excited to see was that 49% of crypto companies have been outperforming their uh, start of the year projections. You know, I, I, it was, I forgot the exact number, but it was, a, it was a large number that were performing, you know, at their year projections and only a few that weren't. So are there specific areas where you see companies performing both the best and the worst? And, and why do you think certain, you know, is, is it is it just on a company to company basis or is it certain sectors of the industry that appear to be doing better than others? Yeah. So as I said, I think, you know, it's if I maybe can just drill through this one, I think it's kind of exchanges. It's companies that earn their revenues um, in proportion to digital asset trading volumes. So that's exchanges, custodians, wallet providers, uh, companies that facilitate the market. So some data providers, um, other core infrastructure, and then also the, the kind of gaming use case has taken off. And so one of the things I also noticed was that COVID was a main business challenges, uh, challenge that companies listed for this year. Was it mostly just because of remote work or, or there like, is there some other reason? Like, I mean, obviously commercial real estate companies have done poorly because, you know, well, nobody's buying commercial real estate. Like, is there some direct impact from COVID on any, or any part of the industry that you've seen? Yeah, that one was surprising to me, too, because, you know, this industry is unique and in that long before COVID, so many companies were remote. Um, you know, having remote teams is nothing new in the space. So, you know, I guess what, what someone might say is that number might be a lot higher for other sectors, much higher. Um, but, yeah, I, I think my sense from our founders and, and interacting with them is that even where it's not just the, the remote work that has set things back. There are so many other kind of things in the air, you know, people, you know, God forbid they're dealing with sick family members or they're just feeling alienated and, you know, they're at home, they're not getting out, they're not seeing people. And right. It just like, takes a toll on people's mental yeah, health. If your people are down, they're not, they're probably not going to be their most productive. So I think that's one. And then, you know, there are some functions where teams are used to being, you know, down in the trenches, side by side, so product. Um, and yeah, I, I think that has been a toll. And in that way, you know, DCG has stepped in, we've tried to find things like storyboarding, virtual technology, any tools that can make that transition easier. And, and I think finally, just part of it has been the uncertainty. If you know that something is going to persist, you really roll up your sleeves and figure out the best solutions. If you're kind of eye, keeping one eye open to, are we going back right. next month or two months from now? You know, if you're tepid, I, I think that just that uncertainty in the air has been a headwind. 
Yeah, I think that makes sense. I think that makes sense. And so I kind of wanted to ask you some of the questions that I found interesting for the DCG survey to get your perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the first being, what what do you think the most bullish development in crypto has been this year? I think the 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 majority of respondents at DeFi. Do you agree with that, or is it something else that you've that you've uh, taken note of? Yeah. So look, I think DeFi has been a major development. Um, I think. I'd echo everything that came across in that report. The the professionalism is standing out. It's much different than what we saw in 2017. Um, you know, there's, yeah, the innovation has been tremendous. But I think if I were to answer it today, so not a month ago, um, I'd say just the decoupling from equity markets and probably in parentheses gold <laughs> um, that we've seen in the Bitcoin price. Um, and like, I say that, first, which we'll kind of touch on this later, like if we talk about valuation a little more, but, you know, I'm kind of loth to equate prices to growth or to industry dynamics. It, it like offends my sentences of value. Um, but, you know, I do think that now because of that decoupling, not just kind of a Bitcoin surge, but we're just seeing people give the industry their attention that never did previously. And the reality is eyeballs leads to capital. It leads to user growth. Um, and I think right now that that to me would be the the big development of 2020. And so do you expect to see, I mean, you mentioned this earlier, right? The industry consolidation piece, right? And, you know, there are a lot, plenty of companies that raised a tremendous amount of money and, you know, are not profitable. Do you expect to see industry consolidation accelerate? I mean, that was seemed to be the, the generally shared sentiment among you know the respondents. Um, look, I defer to what what our respondents said on that. They think it's going to accelerate. I'm also a little bit of a contrarian, and I kind of, you know, I also see the bear case to large financial companies or large companies acquiring top players in the space that. That oh, yeah. Sense. I mean, I think that's a whole um, different question, right? I think yeah, there's a question think, of, um, do you expect little crypto companies to get picked off on a one by one basis by bigger crypto companies? I mean, we've seen Coinbase make a, a number of these types of acquisitions, right? It's, it's totally be. different than a Goldman Sachs coming in and spending $500 million on something. Exactly. And I feel for that, the dynamics aren't in pace. You know, when you think about why huge tech acquisitions happen, it's because you have an existing platform and you're ready to put that new technology on it and hit instant demand that's guaranteed. That's why you're paying that kind of premium. I'm not sure if I see that right now. Um, But yeah, I think there's tremendous teams. You know, we want certainly what we have done in the past in our network. If we see companies that have struggled to find product market fit, but have talent and have a great product or have some sort of IP, we want to find them a home in the industry. And I think, you know, that sentiment is shared across across the space. As you said, Coinbase, others are looking for those niche products that they can swoop in and give a home to. And so what macro developments do you think will have the greatest impact on crypto adoption? So I think in our, the loud and clear from our report were the ones listed that were around like unrest and economic tumult. So I think it was in this order, res- the global recession, inflation, hunt for yield. Um, you know, I-, I think that those, look, it's obvious that they're adoption drivers. I'm probably, um, maybe it's the, the, I don't know, the, the fearful mother worrier in me, but Contrarian is good. We like contrarian opinions. Yeah. I also would, you know, I'd probably push back and say, I would wonder how, how long the government hand gets in in some of those cases. You know, we talked about developing economies. If, if inflation goes through the roof, well, you know, capital controls usually follows and probably embracing technologies that would let you crack down on, on people turning to solutions. I, I, Dearly hope that's not the case. And I think there's also good reason to believe that our industry would fight that um, and would win because that's where we are now. But I think for me, you know, what I see is as the biggest adoption driver that I'm excited about is more um, more of like a paradigm shift around probably like immersive digital worlds. We talked about gaming before. I don't know if you've ever heard Tim Sweeney, the founder of Epic Games. He talks about this a lot, but that like at some point, you know, we can enter, we're already on the spectrum, but we're going to get to the point as a society where there are metaverses that are really all encompassing. Um, and to me, that's where crypto will be a natural fit. You know, I, I mentioned Fortnite before. I mean, 12 million people bought tickets for a Diplo concert in Fortnite. They're buying stuff in there. 
And I think that's really the mega trend that's going to drive long-term adoption in this space is just, um, yeah, as things really coalesce in the feeling of separate digital worlds. Yeah, I, look, I think that makes sense. It's not something we talk about a lot on the podcast, but I think it's it, it makes sense, right? And I think it's a natural fit and a natural demand. You know, another example being like all the people that are tipping Twitch streamers and things like that. You know, given that these people are all over the world, maybe that switches to be crypto, right? And, you know, maybe in-game currencies, you know, people want currencies across multiple different, you know, games and different things like that. And, and maybe crypto gets used for that. So I certainly see that. Um and so what do you view as the greatest risk to crypto? So one takeaway of mine in the report that I, that I thought was really interesting, I don't know if it stood out to you, but it felt like um, the regulatory risk has actually gotten lower and that people in the space want some form of regulation. So just putting it out there that that was really encouraging. To I mean, me, I'm on the probably- same, same boat. I mean, Kick only got fined 5 million bucks. Like... Like, you know, we're yeah. seeing a lot of, you know, a lot of positives from a regular, I'm a hundred percent on the same page. I mean, I right. was and so much more worried than I was saying that they want clarity. Like, you know, I think there's a lot of founders now that if you went to them and said almost like the regulatory equivalent of a tax holiday, if you were like tomorrow, would you want everything to be disbanded? They would actually say no, because, you know, like we're seeing in healthcare right now, um, companies value clarity. They want predictability to plan, um, to invest. and so it's not anymore a fight about no regulation. It's about sensible, harmonized. Um, but yeah, I, I think for me, the risk, um, you know, I think one is always just bad capital allocation. So, you know, there there are a lot of use cases out there, some that are improving existing um, activities and that are going to be proven enduring winners. I think we all hope that that the the money goes to those, right? Um, but there's always a risk that money goes to the those that are not going to be enduring and and gets burned out. So I think that's kind of a lingering risk that I think about. Um, and and probably part of that is also that you know there are still a lot. You mentioned DeFi. There are still a lot of projects that are unproven that are sort of half baked. Um, we don't want people to get burned by those, right? And not turn back to the industry at large. So I think that's something. And, and by people, do you mean like individual investors mainly? Like retail? So I, no, I mean users of those projects. So, you yeah. know, people who are not super financial savvy, right? Which is why we have uh, an extremely built out in our society's regulatory regime around accredited investors and uh, even-handed information, right? If I'm selling a fund, I have to list past performance in a really standardized way. I have to make really clear disclosures around what we're guaranteeing, around what fees. Um, this is a nascent space. That might not always be happening, right? So if someone's piling all their life savings into urn and not thinking that through, but then the headline is that they lost their money, like, that's just kind of a, a bad PR headwind that we need to always be mitigating. Um, and I guess on that note, you know, maybe one more risk uh, is just like, and, and again, this is not an existential risk. This is just something in my purview that we need to think about. It's just, you know, a lot of our founders highlighted, and we talked about before, that companies, projects that raised huge sums in the ICO bubble um, might be fledging at this point. Um you know, maybe that there's kind of one final wave of bad PR around that that's coming. So if you have a headline project that raised 50 million is is going under, that's always going to have a little reverberation. I think we've learned to manage it. We've we will turn that conversation to showing the projects that are enduring and also those that are um, delivering real value and have better aligned incentives today. But it's still something to look out for. And so. You know, we talked a bit about, you know, DCG and being a holding company and, you know, now having these investments, you know, or wholly owned subsidiaries in both the retail and mining space. What do you think are kind of the natural next steps for DCG? And I know you're not going to answer this question, but, you know, everybody's question about DCG is when IPO, but I'll let you pass pass on that one. But, you know, what do you think the company looks like five years from now? I don't even have to pass because I have no idea um, about that one. I'm not, I'm not privy. I don't think anyone is. Um, but for next steps for DCG, I think what's, you know, I can speak to my experience. What's so exciting is that when you have five businesses that are leading in their respective fields in the space, 
there is so much happening at once that can that can also influence kind of the emphasis and your focus and um and the direction. And so I, I think it's really hard for me to answer the next five years beyond that, you know, we're gonna do everything we can to make those five businesses and all our portfolio companies both seize the potential of the space. Um yeah, and, and keep delivering on this on this environment and on what's ahead. And so the question that we ask all of our guests, and that I think you alluded to earlier, and you know, you also talked about um, you know, value investing. So I'd love to get your perspective there. But how do you define fundamentals for crypto, and and how do you think about crypto valuation, and you know, it, are, is there value investing that can be had in crypto? Yeah. So look, I as I said, I started my career at a company that that treated value investing as fundamentals it gets, right? So it was how much would I pay to own this business based on its future cash flows? What is the, the present value today? Obviously, that's hard in crypto, right? Um, Ethereum does not, you know, outside of kind of yield generating products and, and different ways you can look at it does not, you can't run a DCF model. Um, so the first way I think about it is kind of, if you were to substitute one thing into that, if you kind of had to take that framework and just flip it for crypto would probably be like a discounted demand model. So where you're at any moment in time thinking how much how much demand is out there, right? And I think that largely governed our executives' response to the questions around prediction prices in our survey was sort of that they see all these demand drivers on the horizon and therefore the present value of, in this case, Bitcoin is higher. So that's, that's kind of one is like if you called it discounted demand flows, but I think the other, and this is probably like where being in the space has has made me kind of perk up a bit, is just the strength of developer communities um, is a real valuation metric in this arena. So you're looking at like the vibrance in the Discord channel and GitHub, and, and really you're asking the question of, are there early adopters that are going to get others on board? Um, and on that note, again, I think this actually was captured in the report, but we're seeing like this crazy increase in companies that are looking for community marketers. And I kind of joke that like in a traditional business or yeah, in a business versus a, a crypto asset. Um, if I ask someone like what could change, what could so dramatically change the course of a company that you would really revise your valuation estimate overnight? Okay. There's a few answers around like a competitor falling out of the sky, but really for most, it would be, especially small and medium-sized businesses, it would be that they get a killer salesperson, right? Like you get God's gift to business development that changes the growth. To me, I think what we're seeing is what that looks like for token projects is you get God's gift to community marketers who galvanizes a community and just in that way totally accelerates um, like users and developer interest. So yeah, I think that's one. Um yeah, and then you know, I kind of have been focusing totally on like comparing. I'm just thinking as I talk, like I've been comparing crypto to kind of companies. I've been saying like if it was a company and this, but I feel like the last thing is more just activity. Um, and in that way, crypto might be more like a country, right? We measure countries usually GDP, right? Which is more activity based. It's what's the activity, what's the volume in the economy. And I think for, for token projects, that's maybe more the comparison. It's how much activity is on the blockchain. Yeah, I think those are all, you know, super, super interesting answers. And I'd love to have you on later to, to you know, another time to dive into them more. But before I, mean, I have two quick final questions, but before we get there, you know, you mentioned a, having a good community manager. I know DCG is looking to hire a lot across all of their portfolio companies. So I'm asking you now to shill to our audience, all the opportunities, ways that people can find out how they can get more involved with DCG and, you know, the companies that you have, uh, you know, ownership stakes in. Nothing I love more than being set up to shill. Um, <laughs> yeah, our companies are hiring for more than 800 roles. Um, they're across every discipline. So we need marketers, we need developers, we need product people, we need legal, we need just about everything. Um, and you can go to our jobs board. Uh, it's dcg.co slash jobs. I believe I'll make sure we put the right I'll make sure in the description we have yeah, the right, the right is, URL. you know go to our go to our website that I can tell you off the bat is dcg.co and at the top in big bold and white it says jobs 
go there. <laughs> and also while you're at it, you can read about our mission and you can surf through our portfolio companies and have the full experience. Yeah. And I'll, you know, I'll give you guys a little show here. You know, I've had nothing but the best experiences with DCG. We are not a DCG portfolio company, but I have the utmost respect and no, no better place to start your career in crypto or if you're in crypto, uh, you know, a company to transition to. Thanks, Josh. Yeah, no problem. And so, so my last two questions, you know, I asked you what are the biggest risks about crypto, but what has you most excited? Um, I do have to run soon, so I'm going to answer this one super fast. Um, what has me most excited? Um, I think just three words. Uh, Give me three words. Three words. Um, people and buzz. I feel like every day is like this new crazy day where someone's like, someone went on CNBC and and has declared themselves the ultimate convert. And then on the people side, just as you said, there's just so many talented, immaculate professionals that are entering the space. And I don't know, that that talent is going to flock to the best projects and it's going to make them even better. And final question, is a Biden or Trump presidency more bullish for Bitcoin? What a question. Um, (laughs) You're the first person uh, I've tried it on, so. Look, like if you believe... I don't know. If you believe in the no regulation, which obviously we just kind of countered and said people don't anymore, but that would tell you gridlock is good. Um, I feel that's not going anywhere. Uh, <laughs> uh, I don't know. I, I think, yeah, I'm, I'm not. I'm not optimistic on us becoming less distracted and and torn. And so I just think so little legislating is happening. But yeah. I'm with you. I, my point, I, I'm at the point where it doesn't even matter. Like it just, it doesn't matter. This country is such a joke. It doesn't matter. America. All right. Um, well, Sam, yeah. I, I appreciate your time. Um, I will put in the description uh, all of your different URLs and places where people can find you. I know you mentioned earlier dcg.co is the, the, the uh, website. You can Google uh, Digital Currency Group. And what, what is your, your Twitter handle so people can follow you and check you out? Uh, my Twitter handle is as Ludite as it gets, as I said before. It's Samantha underscore Bobot. All right, great. Well, thank you so much. And uh, it's it's been awesome to watch you grow and just to see, I mean, you're talking about Discord and, you know, NFTs and all these things, you know, how far you've come in the last year has been fun to watch. So so thanks again thanks for so joining. Much, Josh. And yeah. yeah, I always love chatting with you. You're a good sparring partner. All right. Thanks.